1: Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today we have Jeffrey Rowan on the line with us, and he's been in PR for a really long time. Uh, Jeffrey, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself so our listeners could understand more about your background and who you are?
2: Would would love to, Leonard. Uh, first of all, I want to say it's a it's a genuine pleasure speaking with you. I've uh, followed a lot of your your content, and in fact, I have to confess to you and to your listeners that. Uh, I'm following the Leonard Kim system right now and uh, addressing my fear of uh, being in the public eye and uh, perhaps making a fool of myself, so I've acknowledged my fear, I'm facing it, and hopefully now I'm doing something about it. So about myself, um, I uh, started out in journalism uh, quite some time ago, uh, another, uh, like some of your other guests, a, a graduate of Syracuse University. Uh, I worked as a newspaper reporter in the US and in Canada for 20 years uh, and then it got to the point where I felt like I was watching a lot of people do cool things and I was just standing on the sidelines so I wanted to I wanted to dip my feet into the world of business so I, I went into public relations uh, and ended up uh, running the Canadian operations of one of the large multinational PR firms here and, and then did- a couple of years ago and and uh, I've been having the time of my life.
1: That's great. So today we're going to be talking about uh, this concept called greed is good. Uh, that's been around for around like 50 years or so, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so that's really, I mean, that's the Hollywood version of the economist Milton Friedman's doctrine, the Friedman Doctrine, which... Stated uh, he wrote a op-ed in the New York Times in 1970, saying essentially that the only purpose a corporation serves is to make money for its shareholders, uh, and that really kind of set the corporate world a spinning uh, when one directors corporate directors started weighing everything that they were doing against that. You know, does this does it generate shareholder return? Immediately, but actually, I want to I want to drop back in history a little bit further because, uh, well, Milton Friedman really popularized it. Uh, there's a really interesting court ruling from a uh, from 100 years ago, 50 years earlier, that really launched a century of kind of corporate profit at any cost. Um, so in the in the early 1900s, you'll remember Henry Ford's model. Well, you won't remember personally, but you'll remember from your history text that Henry Ford's Model T was was just selling faster than they can roll them off of his uh, you know super innovative assembly line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ford Motor Company and its shareholders were raking in the dough. They were making 900 bucks a car, and uh, Henry Ford, who was the CEO and majority shareholder. Um, by the way, he's a, he's kind of a horrible example to use because uh, history reports that he was a horrible anti-Semite and, and racist, although in his later life he uh, apologized and decried all that. But he had some, as, as a business person, he had some innovative ideas, so I'm, I'm going to use him as an example. Anyway, he had the idea that if I cut the price, um, we can sell a lot more cars because not everybody has 900 bucks. So he first he cut the price in half, and use the money to increase wages for his employees, uh, and the shareholders are still making a ton of money. Uh, and so then he got the idea, okay, well, if I cut the price in half again, um, I can use that money to build production and put locations, you know, in areas that I can reach a lot more customers, which is kind of a logical business strategy. Yeah. Uh, but, and he's going to do this instead of paying out the profits. In shareholder dividends. Well, one of his biggest shareholders was a, uh, a couple of guys uh, who had the last name Dodge, the Dodge brothers, uh, and they wanted to use the profits to start their own competing auto company. So they sued Ford, and uh, so in, and he ended up losing losing that lawsuit. Uh, he had argued that he was going to extend the benefits of industrialization and good paying jobs, you know, all across the United States by making cars more affordable. Uh, But a Michigan court ruled uh, almost uh, exactly 100 years ago that uh, the Dodge brothers were right, that he had a duty to pay them the profits. And so maximizing profit for uh, shareholders became the law of the land. Mm. Um, That's been tweaked a little bit here and there over the years, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you go into almost any corporate boardroom, uh, and it's shareholder preeminence that is the major raison d'etre that, you know, the, the shareholders, uh, the, the directors feel obliged to figure out, how can we make the most money for shareholders? And that's why we've had all this short-term thinking and the, and the tyranny of the quarterly report. Um, and I can tell you, you know, having run a unit of uh, a large corporation with a public parent, that no matter what, they say in marketing materials and no matter what they say in humoration relations documents, you don't make your numbers and you're, you know, you're, you're out of luck. You're, you're in trouble.
1: Yeah. that's, so that's true.
2: It. And Milton Friedman, then 50 years later, um, and kind of gave the imprint of, you know, important economists to this idea. And then, you know, from him, we saw movies like, uh, you know, uh, what is the Wall Street, I guess it was, where Michael Douglas issued the famous phrase, breed uh, is good. And that became, you know, the mantra of the 80s, 90s, and, and up until very recently.
1: Yeah, and it's caused a lot of problems. Like, if you think about it, uh, with what corporations have done throughout the time, is they've outsourced jobs, they cut costs, they downsized on employees. There's been a lot of things that have
2: happened uh,
1: because of this mantra that's uh, been going on for so long.
2: Yeah, and I mean, certainly problems for employees, problems for communities. Um, and problems for society as a whole. I mean, I, I, you know, it's my personal belief that many, if not most of society's problems are due to uh, income inequity. You know, I've got the haves and the have-nots, um, and this, the corporate greed uh, has just exacerbated that problem. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, the ratio of CEO salaries is just one indicator, but the ratio of CEO salaries to frontline employees Today, you know, in many cases, it's hundreds and hundreds to one. Back in the 1960s, it might have been 20 or 30 to one. But yeah. um, the need to, to drive corporate profits um, kept pushing it. Um, so that, you know, so that's why you see so many corporations against a, an affordable living wage. Like, you know, would would it be horrible to have a $15 an hour uh Minimum wage. Uh, I mean, not really. You know, companies would build that into the cost of their products if, if need be. Um, but corporations look wherever they can to squeeze cost out it's all got to drop to the bottom line to profit. Uh, and so, you know, the the weakest link in the in the chain are, are the employees uh, who, if they're not unionized, and, and often even if they are, um, don't have a lot lot of leverage to push back, but also the, you know, the other, other variables as well. I mean, um, certainly drives um, opposition to environmental stewardship, because that costs money that takes money, uh, you know, off the bottom line, um, takes it, it, it goes in opposition to kind of any social responsibility, uh, initiatives. And I don't know if it's an irony, but it's a curiosity because, uh, Corporations were originally formed. First um, of when you go back to the late 18th and 19th century, it um, was really the first time in North America we began to distinguish between for profit and not for profit corporations. And then before that, you go back to the Roman ancient era, where Roman law recognized corporations, which from the Latin corpus, you know, the body of the people. was usually a group of people organized for a social purpose. You know, Mm building poor houses, hospitals, asylums, orphanages. And then later on, um, you know, governments gave special charters to organizations like the East India Company or the Hudson Bay Company, and they could go off in the name of king and queen and uh, expand international trade. Um, But that, you know, in... In recent, well, in the last fifty years or so, um, the whole social purpose of corporations has been swept aside by the the Friedman doctrine. We have no other purpose but to make money for our shareholders. And I should say, you know, I'm I'm a capitalist. I'm in favor of capitalism. I think that if you put your capital at risk, you deserve to get a fair return uh, on your capital, um, but not to the exclusion. Of everything else, and that has resulted in, as you say, you know, a growing chasm between the haves and the have-nots in society, um, a litany of social tr- social troubles, uh, and you've got some some of the ultra wealthy. You know, Bill Gates comes to mind, Warren Buffett comes comes to mind, who really made a commitment to uh, uh, philanthropy and social causes, um, but that. They're, they're the outliers, I think. Um, and even that, some of the property gifts are a relatively new phenomenon and a relatively new phenomenon of social, corporate social responsibility. So now here's where we stray into what I think your listeners are most interested in, which is marketing. How do you, uh, how do you build a brand that's perceived, well perceived, and that, that has great um, value? Uh, and you know, one, so one of the things over the last twenty, thirty years, companies have been doing is CSR, corporate social responsibility. And you know, quite often that means that they will sponsor a golf tournament for to clients, or they'll sponsor a softball team, or you know, it's little drips and drabs. Um, all the while saying, you know, we're we're a social, we're a good citizen in the community because we gave to Joe's softball team. Uh, meanwhile, um, just really squeezing every dollar out of the community that we can. Um, but that is changing. That's um, you know, so my generation, the Boomers, uh, are largely responsible for that. The of Good generation, but the Millennials and the generations that follow them are saying no. That's that's not how it needs to be. Um, There was a Brookings Institute report uh, that uh, tells us that within six years, millennials will make up 75 or 80% of the workforce, and they expect very different things from uh, employers. You know, they look to companies' social commitments before taking a job, and and nearly two-thirds of them say they're not going to take a job with a company that doesn't have strong, socially responsible practices. So if your labor force dries up, um, that's that's one one issue and if your customer base dries up that's another issue you know if you're not known as a socially responsible company um that actually solves problems more than just puts band-aids on or you know costs a couple of dollars here um your customers are going to find somebody else to uh to shop from to buy from Yeah, a
1: lot of it is like embedded into the culture of how America works. Like with publicly traded companies, we have the Nasdaq, we have the NYSE, and we have a lot of companies pumping out investor relations with press releases and things like that. And if you really pay attention to most of the news on that, people or companies are talking about how much profit they made, if they hit their objectives, and so forth. And when we really think about it, it. It could be that uh, the fundamental foundation of how stocks work uh, with just strictly going for shareholder value and increasing shareholder equity with trying to get as much profit as possible, maybe that's the wrong approach. I've always had thoughts like what if the stock market was graded on how well the employees were treated within work and how well the customers are treated and how high the quality of a product is as opposed to just the uh, profit that was driven out of a company. Like, for example, if companies went out there and they did something like maybe, uh, I know executives sometimes get like housing allowances and things like that. What if regular employees were able to get things like that so then they could have more perks that came with work as opposed to just like the regular health benefits and the regular gym memberships that come with the company?
2: Yeah, I, something like that would be, uh, would be a, a, I think, a huge brand value. Um, but you're absolutely right, you know. It is all right now, all the communication or the vast majority of the communication is about, you know, did we turn a profit? Uh, it's, it's the tyranny of the quarterly report. And I, you know, I will tell you no less of uh, an expert than Jack Welch, the late uh, CEO of uh, GE. He was probably the king of creating shareholder value. And late in his life, he said in an interview that shareholder supremacy was the dumbest idea he'd ever heard of because it led to, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, all that short term thinking, crushing innovation. Um, And that's another thing, because I know your audience is a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and innovators. And um, there's, you know, there's, you got to have a lot of false starts with most innovations and, and most entrepreneurial efforts before you get to profitability and, and, Big corporations now are not willing to take those risks, so you have less innovation, uh, and there's a you know a, a big risk there that the U.S. will lead it, lose its lead uh, as the most innovative as the most innovative company
1: yeah and I know in the past, like when my grandfather was uh working uh which was a really long time ago, like companies offered pensions and all these other ben- benefits, and as time has taken uh its course while shareholder value became the most important thing uh those benefits that were once offered to employees have kind of been taken away as well
2: right well and and the birth of the gig economy um you know that's great for great for business uh for the bottom line, because you don't have to pay benefits, you don't have to pay regular salaries. Um, you know, you link uh, pay directly. I mean, if people talk about you know pay pay for performance, which okay, well, um, seems like a reasonable idea. But if uh, if you're you know completely screwed out of uh, having the possibility to earn a, a reasonable lifestyle unless you work twenty hours a day. That's not, a, that's not a very fair uh, way to go. Um, yeah. And a lot
1: of people don't even know what to charge, so they're undercharging, and they're not even getting right. the same benefits that they used to get. So let's say someone who's like a, in the gig economy and they're making like $5,000 a month, but then they get sick, the health insurance that they're getting isn't the same type that they're getting with a big employer, so those costs aren't even being covered as well, which puts them into a predicament. Right. That's about uh, time for us to hop off to a commercial break. We could continue this afterwards. But where can people find you online, Jeff?
2: Uh, I'm at JeffreyRowan.com.
1: That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-R-O-W-A-N.com. And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break.
0: Guarantee, it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel.
3: Channel.
4: We don't follow, we lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree.
0: To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone.
1: Welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Leonard Kim here with Jeffrey Rowan. Uh, We left off talking about how this gig economy is really pushing down wages and what could happen if someone potentially got sick. And with all the wages and how people don't really know how to price themselves if they're in the freelance world and so forth. And how that's kind of causing a lot of problems, especially in the long run, because of all this short-minded thinking with uh, wages going down, with uh, freelancers going out there and... uh, undercharging and having this profit that's really driven for these big corporations. Uh, what's your thoughts on all this, Jeff?
2: Well, it's, uh, it's brand suicide Eventually. I mean, you know, you can, you can break off, uh, a lot of money in the short term, but if you abuse people regularly, uh, and continuously and you don't create any meaningful real opportunities or any meaningful real career paths, um, you know your brand is going to be your brand is going to take a hit. There are all kinds of sites online, uh, Glassdoor, et cetera, where people rate employers, and uh, you're going to find that you're not going to have the cream of the crop racing to to come work for you. Uh, and as a result, the quality of your work, the quality of your products is going to suffer, uh, and uh, your customers are going to notice, and they're going to talk about it, and they're going to badmouth you online. Uh, And it's not going to be a good outcome. But then a lot of
1: companies are focusing their efforts on like green efforts going out there and helping with society and so forth. And they're kind of focusing on all this. Doesn't that really make a difference?
2: So that's kind of the crux of the thing that that I wanted to talk about today, which is – greenwashing or CSR washing or, you know, the practice of some organizations to make a big show of tackling an environmental or other social problem, while in fact, behind the scenes, they remain just as focused on, uh, you know, shareholder preeminence. So I, I think the one large bank I know that does some very good public work uh, in support of mental health initiatives, and they really put a lot of effort in it, and it's creative and it's smart and it gets a lot, a lot of attention, but when you go and talk to many of their frontline workers, they feel, you know, they feel their own mental health is in jeopardy from the stress that's placed on them uh, to meet certain metrics, to meet uh, certain performance metrics, Um, so you've got to live what you, you know, live the talk. Uh, consumers today are really smart, really connected, and really skeptical. So um, you're not going to get away very long with, with greenwashing. They're going to look behind the scenes. They're going to look under the hood to see what you're really doing. Uh, and that's where organizations have an opportunity. So if you accept the reality that um, there is a very limited of life, on the Friedman Doctrine and on, on corporate greed and on shareholder preeminence, uh, very limited. And I think, you know, in, in some countries, uh, there, there are even going to be regulatory changes that, that sign, sign its death certificate. But if you accept that, then you have to look at, okay, social responsibilities, corporate social responsibility, uh, social purpose, um, okay, we sit down around the boardroom and say, okay, well, there's this new thing called social purpose. So uh, we've decided we're going to have a social purpose and it's X, Y, Z, and now, you know, if marketing, to go out and tell everybody about our social purpose and how great we are and carry on business as usual. Uh, that just won't work. Um, your social pur- an organization's social purpose needs to be carefully thought out. Ideally, it aligns with the company's business purpose. That it's still all right to be a business and make money and be profitable and, and generate shareholder returns, It's not at the expense of everything else. So, um, for example, if you're a logistics company, um, you've got logistics in your DNA. How can your expertise in that area be shifted to solve a societal problem? Uh, you know, maybe it, you know, maybe it's delivery to um underserved communities uh, smarter minds than I will come up with that but uh, you know if you're a big financial institution um how can you use your expertise in things like microcredit and uh, and serving the unbanked and uh, serving underserved communities you know, how can we adopt that as a social purpose uh which Solves a social problem and uh, also uh, is a money maker. So, you know, this is this social purpose is really not a flavor of the week. Marketing trend, if you approach it as that, you're going to get killed. Um, You really have to figure out how to cook it into your DNA so that it's reflected in kind of all aspects of the organization and so that your employees can, can take pride in it, because you know increasingly employees say, hey, um, I'm not going to work for a company without a social purpose, and there's been another study saying that uh, you know two-thirds of employees would not stay longer than five years with a company that doesn't have a clear social purpose, and uh, the Edelman brand studies is saying that uh, 64% of consumers would either not buy or would boycott a brand solely because it's of its position on a social or political issue. So, you know, times are changing.
1: So I have a question about that bank that you mentioned. uh, They wanted to help mental health. So what they probably did is they found mental health organizations, cut checks to them, and kind of was like, okay, we're supporting
2: mental health. Yeah, and and they did that, uh, but also... um, They ran a very successful public campaign, uh, saying let's called something like "Let's Talk About It" to destigmatize mental illness. And kudos to them for doing that. You know, it it gets a lot of talk and a a lot of visibility, and uh, everybody feels good for a month or two while the campaign is running. And there are a lot of really courageous people. Uh, you know, in the public eye who talk about their own struggles with mental health issues, and it, it's all good. Um, my point is, you know, that's more than a PR exercise. That also has to be an exercise that goes through your entire organization because when your, you know, tens of thousands of employees are looking at the ads on TV and seeing all the social media posts and are saying, well, geez, you know, you, you talk a good game, but you're not, you don't care about your own employees' mental health, Um, you're not going to get your best performance out of employees who feel that way.
1: Yeah. So what they could have done is just like how schools have counselors, maybe they could have set counselors up on site at different locations or had resources where people could get therapists and other types of help as well internally within the company too, right?
2: That would certainly, you know, that, that would certainly be a way to go. And And I think, you know, a lot of companies do have that. I, I think it's more the issue of um, not placing unreasonable expectations uh, on employees. And so you've got the the people at the C-suite level and in the board of directors who have all these grand notions about what a great company we are, uh, but then they push it down to you know, the next level of management and the next level of management, and those people are compensated. Their bonuses are all based on performance. They're not based on... Um, you know how many mental health interventions you made they're based on how many new clients did you sign up how many new products did you sell and so they push it down to their frontline workers saying okay you got to you know you've got to sell x number of new products to y number of clients today um, or you don't get your next pay increase and this was uh this was something um, that was found to be fairly pervasive in the banking industry uh, to the point where you remember a few years ago, Wells Fargo had a big problem with uh, fraudulent practices. Um, you know, it, it all comes from... Probably more more like from middle manager pressure because at the top, they're saying these good things. But then, you know, then, then they spend the next two hours in the board meeting pouring over the quarterly reports and saying, well, you know, if we're going to hit that 8% growth number, then this division has to... Pop up this much and that division has to pop up that much. And, uh, uh, so it remains the same. And that, that is the tyranny of shareholder primacy of, you know, shareholder value at any cost. Um, sometimes you have to be able, willing to take a slightly smaller profit to run a saner, more sustainable business. And by the way, to maintain your brand value.
1: So, because shareholder preeminence is with, kind of built within the culture of a company, and it, like, trickles all the way down to the very person on the very front line, it's kind of deterring any of the good efforts that the company is doing because, number one, in the mind of the company is still profit, right?
2: Right. Well, it's the old, uh, as, as a former boss of mine used to say, Rob Flaherty, uh, the say-do gap. You know, we say this one thing, uh, but we do another. We say we value, um, you know, collaboration and cooperation and respect, but what we actually value is what we acknowledge and reward. So, and, and that, you know, that's it. We get it a whole big discussion of corporate culture here as well because, you know, uh, every corporation has a list tucked away in a folder somewhere of their values. Uh, and their mission, and and all these uh, high and mighty sounding uh, ideals, but, you know, what really matters, what you, in fact, value is the behavior that you recognize and the behavior that you reward, and those are almost always financial metrics, you know. You you, the Omaha office had a sales increase of 38% and, uh, you know, profit increase of Fourteen percent, and so we're sending them this big, big bonus to their managers. Um, That's what you get rewarded for, and so that's what people focus on. That's that's the behavior they do.
1: Yeah, one thing I noticed is I don't know if you've kept up with the recent news, but there's companies within the Silicon Valley who are adjusting the pay rates of how much they're paying their employees based off how far away from the office they live. So because of the pandemic, some people move further away from being within the heart of the Silicon Valley. So they're adjusting the pay scales and dropping them by like 5%, 10%, 15%, 20 25% in some cases. And these are people who are working for a company that has more profit than anyone could even realize.
2: All right. I don't I, I had not heard of that and I don't understand the logic behind it. Uh, especially if people are working remotely, uh or if they're working on, you know, flexible hours or which probably doesn't happen in Silicon Valley very often. But what's the logic behind that?
1: I I don't know. To pay a market rate based off where someone lives?
2: Ah uh, right. <laughs> okay, well that's that's just bizarre. Um isn't it? Like,
1: if you think that you're a $200,000 a year employee or something, and your employer comes up to you and says, hey, we're going to cut you down to 150000 like, that's $50,000 that's lost. That's a huge chunk of money.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And does that make the employee happy and out in the community saying good things about that company? And does that make the employee want to deliver his or her best effort? Um no I mean I think you know the first thing the employee would do is start sending their their resume around. Uh, yeah but the other problem
1: is a lot of companies don't pay that high as well so then they're kind of stuck too so then you have someone who's disgruntled for a while too.
2: Right well and and that's really toxic is to you know it's the it's probably better to to lose a, an employee than have a disgruntled employee cuz they're they're poisoning the entire internal Atmosphere, but that's what yeah. companies often do. Is you know they they talk one game to the public, and employees see a, a whole different other picture. I mean, I think that's near universal. Uh, you've probably seen that in your own experiences, and you just shake your head and go, "Boy, if they could you know, boy, if they could really see what goes on here, um, things would be different."
1: Yeah, like when I was young, like in my early 20s, I learned that people could actually – I never got these myself, but I learned that people could actually get like, you know, housing allowances, car allowances, where they could get expense allowances and things like that, where top people are kind of like being uh, assets and treated well and given more benefits than they actually have, while – a lot of regular people only end up getting like 3% raises a year, 2%, 1%, or maybe an extra day off and things like that.
2: Right. And yeah, well, I mean, go on. Well, I would say there, there are two kind of related, but different issues is, you know, one is how you treat your employees, what you say to your employees, um, how you compensate your employees, um, the behaviors that you reward. Uh, but the other is how you interact with the communities in which you do business, whether it's your geographic community or whether it's a demographic community. Um, you know, you're making a lot of money off of your community. Um, you're arguably, you know, there's this, this crazy notion that a corporation is a person in law. Well, if you're, you know, if you're a person, then you have the, or even if you're not in my book, you have the Responsibilities to the community you solve, so you serve, to the communities you make your money, your existence from. So, what are you doing, you know, Mr. Corporation, to make your community a better, safer, healthier, more sustainable place? Uh, and the answer can't be um, well, we're making a lot of money. Uh, and uh, so that's good because, you know, our shareholders then buy mansions in uh, another <laughs> another community.
1: Yeah, and no, a lot of employees don't even earn enough where they could buy into the stocks of their companies as well.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly Silicon Valley is legendary for, uh, for abuse of employees. Uh, but it's, it's ironic because there's also this notion of, you know a Silicon Valley uh, work lifestyle where there are foosball tables and juice bars and all of these fancy amenities that uh, the rest of the corporate, of the rest of corporate America thinks are you know would be nice to have, but are, are kind of laughable. Um, when in fact, you know, I think what people really want to do is have a predictable, reliable, livable income. Uh, and not work for an evil corporation that takes shortcuts uh, and and doesn't you know doesn't serve its community well. And by the way, that's you know we haven't really touched on that, but that's another element which of the of the greed mantra is that you know in an ideal world, um, a company living by the shareholder preeminence doctrine. Gates right up to the line of illegality. They'll, 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 they'll do anything legal uh, regardless of the ethics, regardless of the social consequences, uh, if it increases shareholder value. And, and, and directors feel that they have a fiduciary obligation. It's not just, you know, it's not just that we're greedy, uh, although greed is a, 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 the underlying principle, but they have a fiduciary duty to act in the best interest of the corporation uh, to maximize shareholder value. So if you've got, you know, if the the board of directors has a decision between option A, um, which is profitable and has a benefit to the community, and option B, which is much more profitable uh, but may have some, you know, some harm to the community as long as the harm doesn't fall into illegality, um, they, often, they typically feel obligated to take the, the worst option, the option B.
1: Yeah, and fiduciary duty to a company is something that makes a lot of bad decisions because people think about the company's life as opposed to the well-being of the people within it. But it's about time for us to hop off to another commercial break. Where could people find you online, Jeff?
2: It's jeffreyrowan.com, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Rowan, dot com.
1: And you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim, and we'll be back after this commercial break.
3: Voice America is available on your Google-connected device.
1: Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio.
3: Try it today. Get Unchained. Influencers Channel
0: channel.
4: replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
0: This is Grow Your Influence Tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at LeonardKim.com. now back to grow your influence tree
1: Hey everyone, Leonard Leonard Kim here with Jeff Rowan. We've been talking a lot about how the greed is good era is dying out and how a new era is kind of emerging out. But with the problems that we have in today's society, shareholder preeminence still is at the forefront of most of the company's uh, thinking. And fiduciary duty is the responsibility of the officers. So most people think about putting the company ahead of the people. And this causes a lot of... uh, solutions to not really emerge out because people at these companies are deciding to take the more profitable routes time and time again because when they're compared to other routes uh, just like jeff mentioned uh, nine times out of ten the more profitable route is usually taken as opposed to the one that would have the more longevity play but what kind of solutions do you think jeff Uh, what in your ideal of a perfect world would a company look like or a policy look like or a philosophy based within the companies itself and maybe within uh, the eyes of these uh, CEOs and so forth, what would it really take to really change how everything's going so far and move us into the next uh, generation of companies?
2: Sure. So we've been talking about social purpose the idea that a company has to exist, uh, for, to serve a greater social purpose or to serve a, to, to, solve a social problem, uh, that, that is distinct from simply creating shareholder value. Yep, you gotta create shareholder value, but you also have to serve a social purpose. Um I, I, a quote from another former colleague of mine who, uh, I can hardly uh, recommend, uh, Following him on Twitter, T-Bone Gallagher, um, he summed it up by saying that uh, so social purpose is a business strategy, it's not a social media strategy. So, um, you know, what you see a lot of companies doing, and when when corporate social responsibility came in, when philanthropy came in, you know, big organizations created a department, okay, this is our, you know, or they send it to the marketing department. Okay, you marketing guys, I want you to create me a video on how you know how great we are at our social purpose, but really the ideal solution is that the social purpose emanates from every every part of the organization. It's not just one department, but everybody in the organization knows that. You know, in addition to making widgets or to transporting widgets or to selling widgets, um, we also have this social purpose. So how can I marry those two ideas? So again, you know, if I'm a transportation company, I have an expertise in transportation. Um, what problem can I solve? You know, maybe we need to be big investors in um, carbon reduced transportation um, technologies. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a, an asset management company, Maybe we need to uh help low income people who don't have a lot of assets to manage to hire, you know, a, a financial advisor. Maybe we need to have a, a practice where we can uh equalize access to our expertise. Uh you know, whatever your expertise is, how can that how can that be applied um to solve a social problem. So it's not just the board sitting around the table going, well, you know, everybody's talking about this disease this year, or my niece has this disease, so we should really, you know, it's it, it's not haphazard. Uh, it, is, it really gives the corporation and every employee, working for the corporation and all your vendors and uh, you know, your suppliers and um, Your customers. It gives them a strong idea of what you stand for. It certainly enhances your brand significantly. Um, It also, uh, a lot of the work I do in in communication is crisis issues and crisis management. Um, You know, that kind of brand reinforcement and brand strength will serve you well in the inevitable moment when you do come up with some kind of crisis or issue. Um, but it really has to be through and through. You know, it's it, it can't you can't have marketing saying one thing and the finance department saying the other thing. They have to be working together in line with um you know this is a goal as important as their hold of profit. Um, and then they have to follow through and employees have to see uh, them following through and the and community and the media and investors have to see that that actually means something. There were, there are like, well, I am very confident that the Friedman greed era is winding down. It's going to take, you know, a few more years. And there are certainly those uh, at various business schools who still believe very much that, nope, it's all about, you know, we just reward our shareholders for putting their capital at risk but i am i'm convinced that it is happening i think you know you look at uh, all the evidence out there the the ceo of of blackrock which is i think the largest asset management company in the world uh for the last several years his annual letter to shareholders has been about social purpose and when you bring you know that much wealth to bear um it has an influence i also hear from you know, I, I see insurance companies making statements that they're not going to insure companies um, that earn, you know, X percent of their revenues from carbon producing uh, assets. Um, it, it's, to, to my view, it, it's inevitable. Um, so if you're not seriously thinking about it, you need to sit down and look at what you're good at, what you're an expert at, and how can you apply that to a social purpose or solving a social problem.
1: How, how long do you think these uh, changes would take to implement within companies? It wouldn't happen overnight, would it?
2: No, certainly not. Uh, it's another interesting thing uh, about this is uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but the first movers are going to have a big advantage because, you know, as you pointed out with the mental health example, you um, the corporation formed relationships with the major mental health not for profits and tie them up uh become their partners uh so that uh you know a few years down the line um there aren't going to be you know all the big not for profits that have cachet that have credibility on certain issues they're going to be aligned with uh, other organizations. So if you're, if you're late to the game, you're going to find pretty tough slogging uh, you know, in inventing uh, a solution to a problem that's already being tackled by bigger, uh, better organizations with more expertise and more resources. So um, it's, it's picking up steam now, and I think there's going to be a tipping point in the next couple of years where organizations realize, holy cow, I better like we're gonna be left out in the in the cold. All our all our competitors are gonna have these wonderful stories to tell about what they're actually doing and and measurable results. That's another very important aspect of this as well, by the way. Um, it can't just be feel good talk. You have to demonstrate measurable results that you report out, that you're transparent and honest about. Um but they're, you know, if if you're if you're late to the dance, you're not going to have a partner to dance with.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why? Well, hope, hopefully, we're going to see a lot of changes in the near future. Um, what are some of the big things that you're looking forward to seeing happening?
2: Uh, I am looking forward to seeing uh, companies that take this seriously rewarded uh, by being able to, you know, get the cream of the crop of Smartest, best employees, and rewarded by consumers, and uh, ironically, uh, a result of that will be increased shareholder value as well. Uh, which again, I'm not against shareholder value, um, but uh, you know, we're going to see. I, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years with wildfires in, you know, in California and Australia, and and, uh, and certainly in Canada here and. Various other climate disasters. Um, it seems like finally the world is starting to take climate change seriously. Uh, so that's one of the first places where I think we're going to see it because companies are going to just stop putting their money into uh, heavy carbon industries. Uh, that's going to force them to invest into you know other ways of, of doing things or move them into other more sustainable energy sources um whether it's too late um you know it's the old time will tell but that's one thing i'm i'm optimistic about i hope we can leave a better planet for our kids than it looks like we're going to leave right now
1: awesome well Jeffrey, i wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing all of your wisdom with us i really appreciate it and i'm sure our listeners do as well um where can people find
2: you again they can find me on my website, which is jeffreyrowan.com, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Rowan, R-O-W-A-N.com. And, uh, Leonard, it's been a great pleasure talking with you. I, I look forward to continue listening to your, your shows and, and reading your content. Thank you so much. I appreciate
1: it. And I'm sure all our listeners do as well. Uh, for our listeners, once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. And we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.